you start doing it God's way, you start getting God's results. And if you'll get your eyes up more where God wants them to be, where the vision is, God will help look after a lot of these little problems and some of them won't even bother you anymore. We're talking today about vision. And vision is a very important commodity. Without vision, uh, let's see, how did Jesus put it? When the blind lead the blind, they both end up someplace where? In the ditch, yeah. And so vision, I hope you would agree, it's a, <coughs> a very priceless commodity. People who go blind, I can't imagine what that must be like. Uh, not to ever see again the face of your loved ones, not to be able to do what you used to be able to do, drive a vehicle, for example. Uh, whole life changes when we lose our vision. When we come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, it's like our eyes get open. I say, why didn't I do this before? Most people, well, maybe most people, there's still a lot of people who have never heard the name Jesus, but I think most people have. It's only a guess. But uh, my opinion is that most people have heard something about Jesus, but it doesn't mean much to them. Then there are those that not only hear about Jesus, but they learn more about what Jesus did on the cross. And then they don't take it any further. And then there are those, and again the circle gets smaller, those that not only hear about Jesus and learn about what he did, but they, they say in their heart of hearts, that's for me, I want that. And these are the ones that benefit the most. And they repent of their sin and they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And their eyes are opened. When they're born again, when Christ comes to live inside, boy, oh boy, big changes, exciting changes happen. Good things happen when Jesus comes into the heart. I am uh, so glad for the day that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Changed my whole life. I don't think I would be here today alive if it hadn't have been for Jesus Christ in my life. I know a lot of people, they, they do live uh, many decades. Some of them even hit 100 and they've never received Christ as Savior. But then they die. And then they sure wish they had have received Christ as Savior because God tells us in the Bible that there's a heaven above and there's a hell below. And heaven is a gift that God puts inside of a person. That person is Jesus Christ and whosoever will may come. Anyone may receive Jesus Christ as his or her personal savior and along with Christ, they get heaven, eternal life. And so anyhow, we... Trust and hope and pray that everyone here today has a time in their life when they have repent of, repented of their sins and trusted Christ as their Savior. And that gives you a spiritual birthday. That means you have two birthdays, a physical one and a spiritual one. And it's a wonderful thing to be born again into God's family. It truly is. All of heaven begins on that day. But we want to talk about vision. Vision. Truly, when you get saved, God opens your eyes. It's like you have new vision. 
And everyone needs new vision in their lives. Uh, Generally speaking, just as a general rule of thumb, we have to keep our head up uh, through life. Um, Otherwise, we're going to miss a lot. Um, We need to keep our head up and see the bigger picture in life. Otherwise, we're going to keep our head down and we're just going to be concerned about our own tiny little circle. Another way of putting it is some people can't see past the end of their own nose. They can't see that there's others in the world. They can't see that there are maybe some bigger issues and so on. And I suppose because we're human, we have these problems and a whole bunch more. But it is good advice, wouldn't you think, to sort of keep your head up in life know what's going on. It's good to um, read a little bit of news. I know it can be overdone. Some people spend eight hours a day, you know, just finding every little bit of news all over the world they possibly can. And they are a walking well of news trivia. Well, God bless them. But uh, the dark side of that is there's a lot of horrible things happening in the world that make the news headlines. And you start filling your head with a lot of dark stuff. And finally, it'll get to the breaking point. And you can be very discouraged in life. There's always been bad things happening. Yeah, we need to be aware of what's going on, but there's a balance in there. But uh, we do need to keep our head up, so to speak. Um, If you are a hockey player, you would certainly know this. Uh, Maybe a basketball player. Have you ever seen a player of hockey or basketball playing with their head down? Their head isn't up watching what's going on and what's coming at them and where their fellow teammates are and how to pass the puck or pass the ball. They're not aware of any. They can't see it because their head is down. They're just looking at the puck, looking at their feet, looking at the basketball. A player who plays like that is uh, dangerous uh, to himself or herself and also a detriment to fellow team players. You've got to get your head up. This is something I learned when I was a young buck back in high school. I was playing with some others on a team, and I wasn't very good at ball hockey, but I was playing and my head was down. And another kid who was much better And his head was always up and he was always scoring points. Anyhow, he got too close to me. And so he took his plastic ball hockey stick and he checked me. It was a legitimate check, but he drove me right into the wall. And I remember looking up just in that nanosecond and seeing the wall come right toward my head. And I thought of this this afterwards But if I had not raised my head, he would have driven my head, my skull, right into that brick wall. And when you're still trying to grow up, that can detriment your ability to grow, getting your head driven into a brick wall. So anyhow, that was a lesson I learned back then, was to keep your head up. Another lesson I learned is don't play ball hockey. Not with those guys, anyhow. Uh, So... In the Christian life, we have been given a great, wonderful promise of God. It's called the great hope of Christ's soon return. Christ is coming back. But that hope will do us no good if our head is always down. 
We have to be looking up, looking for his coming, for that promise to really be a blessing in our lives. The Lord Jesus said something interesting in, in Luke 21, 28. He said, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, technically, he's referring to the end of the tribulation period, which has not yet happened. But that same principle is very applicable for the coming in the clouds of the Lord Jesus before the tribulation. We need to be looking and thinking, well, this could be the day he comes. This could be the day he comes. If, if someone were to ask you, are you looking for Christ's coming today? What might you answer? You say, well, today's Sunday. Yeah, I'm reminded of it. What about Monday? What about Thursday? Are you still looking for his coming? Because we forget, don't we? And when we forget, our head drops down. We're no longer up there looking for the coming of our Lord. Because that really changes things. You might wonder, well, how can I be up looking you know, for the coming of the Lord when I've got these problems in life I have to deal with? I'll get, tell you a little secret that I've learned is that the more we can get our eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the more we can keep our head up looking for the promise of his coming, the more these things on earth seem to take care of themselves. They not only take care of themselves, but God gives us wisdom and power to look after them as well. But as long as our eyes are down, our head is down, we're focused on our little world, I think the devil's got us in his back pocket because I don't think we can be very productive. I think we need to lift up our heads. We need to lift up our eyes, as it, as it were. Um, I might ask you, uh, as a family, what is your vision for your family? Now, that may sound strange to someone here today. Vision for my family? I don't understand. What, what am I supposed to have a vision for my family? Uh, yeah, it would kind of help. Um, you know, before you got married, you were dating, you know, what's your vision? Oh, I'm going to marry that, that girl. Oh, I want to marry that man. See, that's your, your vision, I suppose. And then what? Well, I guess we're going to raise a, a family together. Well, that sounds good. All right. Then what? I don't know. What is the vision? Parents, do you have any kind of vision for your children? Oh, I do. I want them to get a good education. I want them to get a fine paying job. No, that may be a bit of the vision. But if that's all your vision, you're missing out on the major part. Where does Jesus Christ fit into the hearts and lives of your children? Oh, well, I want them to receive Christ one day. Oh, listen, it's more than that. You want them to receive Christ. You want them to live their lives for Jesus. You want to raise your children so that they're honest, true, and brave, so that they're faithful and praying and very productive for the Lord, so that one day when your children stand before the Lord Jesus Christ with a tear of joy in his eye, he will reward them for a wonderful life on earth. That's some kind of vision. What is the vision for your family? You know, a business without a vision will soon go out of business. Imagine if you went down to your banker and you wanted to borrow some money. Let's say $500,000. So you set up the appointment, you sit down, he offers you coffee, thanks, no thanks. 
I'd like to get right to the matter at hand. The banker says, all right, I understand you want some money. Yes, how much would you like? $500,000, you say. Wow, that's quite a bit of money. And what are you going to do with it? And you say, I haven't decided that yet. And the banker would say, I don't understand. Well, you say, there's a lot of people that have a lot of money and they look pretty happy in life, and so I'd like to be happy in life too, and so I'd like $500,000, please. And the banker might smile and say, well, you know, I got another appointment, and uh, we're going to have to get back to this. If you don't have any kind of vision what you want the money for, it's not going to give you the money. I don't even think a loan shark would give you the money. Huh? You have to have some kind of vision. Businesses without a vision. What are you in business for? You know, without a vision, they go out of business. Churches without a vision go out of business as well. Did you know that? That is very true. I've been in the church business, that's a funny way to put it, for 42 years. And I can tell you that churches without a vision soon go out of business. They just, they may start great, but then they shrink and they become like an ingrown toenail. And before you know it, it's us four no more. And then one dies. Well, it's us three, you know, hee hee. And then one more dies and it's us two. And I'm not too sure about you. And you get where this is going. That's what happens. So folks, it's very important that we lift up our eyes. We start getting some vision. What is the vision that God wants for us? So let's pray. And let's look at this today. I think you'll find it very interesting. It's very applicable. Heavenly Father, help us now as we look at this story in John chapter 4. Thank you for it. Please help us to take away from this today the, the need for vision. There may be many here today that have little to no vision for their lives. Aside maybe from some likes and dislikes some hobbies, some sports, or some trivialities and things. Essentially, they got no vision, no vision for their life. Father, help us, everyone, especially born again, men and women, to have a vision, a purpose, something that comes from heaven, so that one day when we leave this world, we're, we're going to have a, a party in heaven because of it. And so help us today, bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, is your Bible open at John chapter 4 and verse number 35? Would you read that verse out loud together with me right now? Let's do it together. Say ye not... Uh, sorry, did I, did I tell you there's a virus going? <laughs> Let's try it again, all right? Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. This is an amazing true story of when the Lord Jesus and his disciples were going through an area of the, what we know as the Holy Land over in Israel there, 
uh, Samaria. This area was known as Samaria, and it was inhabited by Samaritans. We're sort of like half-Jews, kind of half-breeds, if you will, and the purebred Jews all despised them, and they were taught to despise them as well. You see that man, see that woman? Yeah, they're Samaritans. You're never to have anything to do with them. They're low class. They sold out, you know, years and years ago, they sold out their religion to the Lord. Uh, of the, to the Lord. They sold it out to the devil. And so you just steer clear of them. And the Jews would purposely make these huge, big roundabouts to avoid Samaria. Well, Jesus took his disciples and went right through it. He knew what he was doing because there, at a particular place, at a particular day, there was this woman at the well that he was going to talk to. Now, this was no regular woman. This woman was a fallen woman. And she, uh, she'd gone through uh, husbands like you'd play with a yo-yo. Uh, she'd had a lot of them. And uh, married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced. She was a bit of a t- an outcast from her own town. So this was the woman Jesus wanted to talk to. And so uh, he was there while they were off. They went to the town to buy some food. And while they were gone, this woman comes and Jesus is sitting there. It's the story of the woman at the well. And they engage in conversation. Before you know it, he reveals to himself that he's the Messiah. All this time, you know, uh, her faith is growing. It's like her eyes are opening and she realizes this, this is the Messiah. And so she leaves her water pot there, which was a valuable possession. And she races as fast as she could back to the town to tell everyone. If she'd carried that water pot, she um, would have been held back by the weight of it. She couldn't run as fast, but also she would risk dropping it and smashing it. So anyhow, she left it there with Jesus. When you leave things with Jesus, they're in good company. When you take your burdens especially and you give them into Jesus' hands, I think that's the best thing you can do with some of the burdens and problems and he did this to me and she said that behind my back take those things and just leave them with the Lord Jesus anyhow she runs off she tells to the townspeople come see come see a man that told me all things ever I did is not this the Christ and so they said all right we'll go check him out and so meanwhile the disciples come back and they want him to eat something and he says you know I've uh, eaten meat that you don't know anything about so anyhow, in the course of this conversation, he says here in verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, then cometh harvest. So this is very interesting. Uh, the earliest that the fields of Israel could be harvested was March, what we know as the month of March. So if you back up four months, you're looking at January. January tended to be a very rainy December, January tended to be rainy time. It still is over in Israel. And some days it just, we think it, we got it bad here in Surrey where some days, you know, it's raining, raining. Well, it's, <laughs> they got it there too. And so it wasn't raining this day, that's for sure. And so here in whatever day it was, in approximately the January time, uh, the Lord Jesus is trying to teach something important to his disciples. If you and I will follow along, I think we'll learn something important too. Because he says here in verse 35, uh, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. And they would have nodded, yeah, that's right. It's only January. The seed hasn't been sown. 
the fields haven't been properly cultivated. There's no crops nowhere. So yeah, that comes in four months' time. This is just January. Okay. Now, Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Now, the fields would have been in kind of rough shape. There would have been no crops growing up. Well, what are the disciples to look at? What the disciples would have looked at was the Samaritans coming out of the village to meet with Jesus, to check him out. This woman said he was the Messiah. We're coming to check him out. We've been looking for the Messiah for a long time. And so these disciples, they lift up their eyes and they would have seen probably the white-robed Samaritan people all coming out of the city toward him. That's why Jesus may have said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. It was January. Jesus wasn't talking about physical wheat or barley. He was talking about people, humans, souls. That's what he was talking about. Men and women who needed salvation. He says, look, look, lift up your eyes, look. The fields are all ready, white unto harvest. What an object lesson for the disciples that day. That would have been so exciting for them. And so here we learn that the disciples, they needed a little help with their vision. And so do we, because we sometimes get our head down. We need to get our head up. We need to lift up our eyes and look around us because there's a harvest field. Harvest time was a time of great joy and still is amongst the, the farms and farmers and people who get their machines going and they have all of the produce, all they reap it all in with the machines and things. Over in the feet wheels of Saskatchewan, they gang these great big, you know, combiners together and they go down the, the fields. It's quite a sight to behold. And it's harvest time. And they're taking it all in. They fill their barns to plenty. And then off to market. Sometimes the, uh, the crops go to feed people that are halfway around the world. On the big shipping containers and so on of, of the world. Very exciting time. But this is even more exciting than that. You see, God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. And as the disciples were standing there, possibly Jesus was sitting there. And they were standing there gathered around him. And he's telling them, look up, fellas. Look up. Look up. Because the fields already are white under harvest. And as they look up, they saw the people, the white-robed Samaritans coming toward them. That's pretty exciting. Well, sometimes we pray, Lord, what is your vision for my life? What is your vision for my family? As a church, we pray, Lord, what is your vision for our church? Because Grace Baptist Church is not meant to just be a social club. We're not meant just to gather together. You know, we'll all gather together once a week for one hour and we'll have a wonderful time together and we'll shake hands, maybe have a, a coffee and a donut or something and we'll say adieu See you in a week's time, and we'll do this all over again. What are we doing? What is the purpose of our existence? Why do we open the doors at all? What is our vision? 
So sometimes we, we pray, Lord, what is your vision? And yet all the while we may be looking down. And this is common. It's human nature, isn't it? We get our head down, down into our little circle, down into our little friends, down into our little problems. And the Lord is encouraging us, challenging us to lift up our eyes. Look beyond your circle. Look beyond your friends. Look beyond your problems. Get your eyes up. Well, how can I get my eyes up when I've got problems that I've got to deal with? Well, I mentioned it earlier. It's the power of God. When you start doing it God's way, you start getting God's results. And if you'll get your eyes up more where God wants them to be, where the vision is, God will help look after a lot of these little problems and some of them won't even bother you anymore. Have you ever seen someone who's being attacked by a mosquito? Maybe it's happened to one of you. And that little thing, oh, I hate the sound of those things. Maybe it reminds me of a dentist drill. I'm not sure. Little mosquito. And, and to watch someone... You can't see the mosquito from afar and they can barely see it, but they can hear it and they know it's around there somewhere and they're, you know, going at it like that. That's how some people live their lives with a little mosquito of a problem here and a mosquito there. And they're just full time just trying to swat these things away. And we're telling these people to lift up their their eyes and get their eyes onto, you know, the vision of the Lord. How can I when I've got all these mosquitoes around me? Well, it takes faith. It does. It takes a little bit of faith to do that. But you start doing that and you'll find the Lord is going to drive away those mosquitoes, those pesky things that are bothering you or those things that are keeping you up at night, preventing you from sleeping. You start getting the Lord's vision for your life, for your family, for your church. This is your church, folks. What is the vision God has for you and for me as a church? This is not some kind of business, you know, employer or management and labor kind of thing. This is God's house. We are God's children. What is his vision for us? That's what I really want to challenge you for for the next few minutes here. Because the Lord tells us these words, lift up your eyes. Now, if we did that, supposing we did that, what would we see? If we could get our vision up and look past these four walls look past the door that we came in, look past the parking lot, look past the few streets around our building here. What might we see if we could lift up our vision a bit? I suggest to you that we would see a harvest field of people. We have over here on this wall a map. It's a map of the city of Surrey. You know, Surrey looks different when you look at it on a map. You and I were used to looking at Surrey standing on two legs. We look around, well, here's a street sign and, and here's a building and there's a house over there and I see in the distance one of these and that's what we see. But can you imagine if you could go up about 100 feet? Wow, that would change your perspective, wouldn't it? You'd see a whole lot more. Can you imagine if you could go up, say, a couple hundred feet up in the air and let's get rid of all of the buildings. Let's get rid of all the trees. Let's get rid of all the rocks. Let's get rid of everything in Surrey and just level it. Level it in pavement or ground. You take your pick. All that's left are going to be the people. And maybe some cats and dogs and a few stray coyotes. 
Let's get rid of them too. What you have are people. That's the vision. The Lord Jesus here in John chapter 4 wanted the disciples to get a proper vision. You know what their vision was at that moment? Does anyone have any clue? What were the disciples concerned about? Their head was down. They were concerned about something. Do you know what it was? Food. Food. Are we saying food is bad? No, of course not. Food is good. Are we saying eating is bad? No, eating is fun. Eating is good. But that's not part of the vision. If, if it's all just about the food and fellowship, we've made a big mistake. Because Jesus was helping his disciples get a vision. And that vision was people. And so you and I, as we lift up our eyes, what do we see in Surrey? We see people. People from all walks of life. People from various countries and nationalities from all over the world have converged on Surrey. And Surrey isn't a town of, you know, a couple thousand people, is it? It's considerably more than that, isn't it? In fact, Surrey, the last figures I have, is a town, a city of 650,000 people. Now that's a double wow. Wow, that's a lot of people. Personally, I've never seen all of the people of Surrey together in one place at one time, and I probably never will. I've seen videos of these sports events where they might have 50,000 people, and that blew my mind to see a crowd together of 50,000 people. That's like, to me, insane. Well, you have to multiply many of those in order to get the city of Surrey. Folks, we're talking about an ocean of human lives right outside our door. This is the vision God wants for our church because we have been given the commission to try and reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a wow, wow, wow. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, John had a vision of 144,000 people. That's wow. We have 650,000 here in our town, in our city. People who don't know the Lord as their Savior. I believe that there are saved people in this city, but we are in the minority not the majority, in the vast minority. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are lost. They get up every day in darkness, as it were, spiritual blindness. They, if you ask them, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? They haven't a clue. What's going to happen to you when you, when you die? They say, I don't know. Some of them have been taught religious Fables, some of them have taught religious doctrines that, you know, it just leaves question marks, question marks in their mind. By the way, listen carefully. Is there anybody here today who might have one of those question marks? You know, if you were to die today, where would you be? Do you know for sure or do you have some doubt? Is there any doubt in there? Well, I, I, I'd like to be able to know for 100% sure that I'd be in heaven, but... I'm just not sure. 
Listen, that's the normal, natural state of human beings. But you can fix that. You can fix that. And we can show you how simple it is to put your faith in Christ and to receive him. Yeah, but I've prayed before. And I even prayed asking Jesus to come in my heart. And still, you know, I've got doubts. You come and see one of the pastors after the service. Because this is our area of specialty. We can help you to know for sure that heaven's your home. But we've been given a vision from God. And that vision, he's planted that our church here in this city for this reason. Because there's 650,000 people that need to hear the gospel. Our vision is 650,000 people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might think that is an impossible task. How can we, as a little church, how can we possibly preach the gospel to 650,000 people? You know what? I agree with you. It really is an impossible task. But did you know that the first disciples of Jesus Christ, the apostles and the first few believers, they stood around as he told them these words. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And some of them must have done one of those, you know, and said, Lord, did I hear you right? You're not talking just about Judea here. You're not just talking about the Holy Land. Did I hear you right? Did you say go into all the world, every part of the world? That is the desire of God. That is the vision God has for us. How do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, The truth is, we can't do it without his help. It has to be his power working in us and through us. Otherwise, it will not work. We cannot reach our next door neighbor with the gospel, let alone this entire city, without the power of God. Now, the good news is that With the will of God comes the grace of God to be able to do it. And this is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. I am not kidding you. God has given us this city. It doesn't mean we own every house, every building. It doesn't mean that. It means that we have the biblical authority to claim this city for Jesus Christ. And a lot of Christians have not yet realized that because their head is down into their world. Once we get our head up and we start looking at the vision, we'll start hearing the calling because the call comes with the vision. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all of Surrey, 650,000, and preach the gospel. How are we going to do that? Well, it's not going to happen overnight. And it's not going to happen in our strength or in our resources. And I believe that God has given us all the promises we need. For example, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 8. God says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. God owns the whole world. I hope you understand and can appreciate that. And then God is telling us, you ask of me and I'll give to you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we learn that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
In Acts chapter 18 and verse 10, God says, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And by faith, you and I need to believe that what God said is true. Well, how do we know that those verses apply to us? That's what some people say. How do we know? Because God tells us. Everything in the Bible was either written directly or indirectly for all Christians. For all believers. Everything in the Bible is for you. Everything. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul wrote, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of, of the world are come. Everything in the Bible is written for us. Everything. From Genesis to Revelation, everything. I believe with all my heart that God means exactly what he says when he tells us, lift up your eyes, get the vision. You start doing that, and you'll find that you'll start easily hearing by faith, not audibly, but by faith you'll hear the call of Jesus Christ. We've got to do something about this. We need to take the gospel into all of the world. Our vision is to preach the gospel to 650,000 people. Now, I want to give you some idea of the magnitude of that number. If you were to count every second a number, one, two, three, four, five. Well, in five seconds, how many numbers would you have counted to? That's a hint. Someone tell me. Five. If you were to keep that up, how long would it take you to count to 650,000? Well, that would be 650,000 seconds, wouldn't it? You do the math, you'll find it will take you without stopping to eat, without stopping to drink, without stopping to sleep. It would take you seven and a half days to count up to 650,000. That's a lot. It's a lot. And again, I'll tell you something. We can't do it in our own strength. Has anyone here ever heard of or seen a movie called Jaws? Raise your hand if you've ever. Okay. If you've never heard of this movie called Jaws, it has a big shark in it. A big shark. If you've never heard of the movie Jaws, I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you've never heard of it. All right. Well, okay. Someone's not raising their hand then. All right. Back in 1975, they put together this movie that went worldwide and it made everyone afraid to go in the water. It was called Jaws. It's all about this oversized shark. Do, 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 do. And, uh, you know, you're bobbing in the water and it, it takes your legs or something. Well, at one point, three men are in a boat. They're trying to catch this Jaws shark. And one of them is the police chief Brody. It's his name, Brody. And there he is with a big bucket of uh, chopped up meat and blood and everything. And he's throwing it in the water as bait to bring the shark in. He's yakking back at his friends. He's throwing this stuff in the water. And as he turns, the shark comes out of the water. Does anyone remember that image and the, the head on the shark is the size of the grand piano. And do you remember Brody's reaction? He sat bolt upright, and then he said these words. He said, 
we're going to need a bigger boat. Do you remember that? We look at 650,000 that need the gospel and we sit bolt upright and we say, we're going to need a bigger church. And you're right. We're going to need a bigger church, aren't we? We're going to need a bigger auditorium, aren't we? If we're going to literally try and reach the city of Surrey, we're going to need a bigger auditorium. We're going to need a, a bigger choir. We're going to need a bigger nursery. We're going to need more deacons. We're going to need more uh, ushers. We're going to need more security. We're going to need parking lot help. Aren't, we're going to need a bigger parking lot too, aren't we? You start thinking of all of the things we're going to be needing if we're going to start ministering to a larger audience. Now, if you're there sitting thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, right, that's never going to happen, then you have no faith. You have no faith to believe what God says. Jesus said, I will build my church. If you were around our church 24 years ago, you would have had no faith of what you see today. We were six people, six people meeting in a living room. My first pulpit was a cardboard box. That was 24 years ago. We never thought we'd see what we see today. But people of no faith, they can't see beyond the cardboard box. Oh yeah, you'll never get bigger than you are now. Just crawl into your cardboard box and close the lid in on top of you. People of no faith. You have to have faith, not just in anything. You have to have faith in God's word, in his promises. That's how anybody gets saved. You can't get saved without faith. You have to have faith in what Jesus did and what he's offering you in order to be saved. But folks, we're going to need some bigger toys in order to reach a big city. But I believe in the promises of God. Now I'll give you a couple of them. Number one in Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now don't bother reading that if you have no faith to believe that God can do that. Don't bother reading that. I want to give you another one in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Don't you read that if you have no faith. I want to give you one more. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Folks, reaching Surrey is not dependent upon how much money we have. Reaching Surrey is all dependent on how much faith we have. Faith is far more valuable than money. We don't have the big bucks to be able to build a big coliseum and, and the advertising budget, you know, to bring people in. We don't have that. But we don't need that. We have a God who has all the resources. 
And he's looking to us for faith. Do you believe me? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Says God. And we need to respond. We got to get our head up off our little circle. We got to start seeing what's out there. Now I'm talking as a church family today. This message is more for our church family. I'm talking the vision that God has given us as a church. A year from now, what's, what's going to be happening? Two years from now, where will we be? I mean, assuming that the Lord Jesus is not going to come in the clouds and take us home to heaven. Where are we going to be? We are going to need faith in order to see great things happen for God. I'll tell you that. Faith sees the invisible Faith believes the unbelievable and faith receives the impossible by faith. That's how it's done. You ask any of the great men and women of God down through the years who have done great things for God, they'll tell you the same. It's faith. Hudson Taylor, one of the most famous missionaries to China, he said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. William Carey, famous missionary to India, said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. D.L. Moody, a great Bible teacher, evangelist in America, said, if God is your partner, make your plans big. Billy Sunday, a famous evangelist in North America, said, we have a God who delights in impossibilities. It all gets down to faith. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, we are told, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You need faith, my friend. You need faith. You need to lift up your eyes. In the Old Testament, we're told that God wants us to mount up with wings as eagles. If you know anything about eagles, you know they have terrific vision. They can see a field mouse from about a mile away and swoop in on it at 60 miles an hour and snatch that thing up before it's even had time to to know what day it is. The wings of eagles can carry them and keep them aloft all day long. We're looking at the power of God here that can give us wings as eagles. We're looking at the vision of God That can help us to see what we need to apply our lives to. So that one day when we stand before him. Yes, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So what can we do? Folks, we can do anything by faith. And as a church family, we have to move forward. I can't do it for us. I can say, well, this is the way, let's go for it. Moses, all he could do was lead the people. If the people didn't want to follow, nothing was going to happen. All I can do is say, this is the way. Let's do it together. And as a church family, folks, we need to decide what we want to do because God has called us 
to reach a city of 650,000 people. How are we going to do it? Well, we're going to need to grow. Be a good idea to start maybe inviting people to church. That would help. God always blesses that. How would you like a new building? How would you like a building twice this size? Where we have far more room to do more things for God. How would you like that? Well, we could see God give it to us. If we would look up. Get a vision. Of why it is we need a big building. Not just to make ourselves feel good. It's to reach a city. What, what kind of building would you need to reach a city of 650,000? Wow! I don't know. But I do know that if we had a, a bigger building, we could accommodate more people. We could minister to more people. We could do more things. We could get a Christian school started. We could get back in the bus ministry, say. The Bible college wouldn't be hurting for accommodations. We could train a whole lot more people to do a whole lot more ministry. Well, I got an idea. I might share that with you next week. But I want you to, for today, ask the Lord to give you a vision. If you can't ask the Lord to give you a vision for our church, then ask the Lord maybe to give you a vision for your family. My guess is that if you've already asked the Lord for a vision on your family, if you're already going in that direction, it should be easy peasy to just say, Lord, give us a vision for the church. But if you've never asked the Lord for a vision for your family, have you ever asked the Lord for a true vision for your life? Maybe that's where some need to start. Lord, what am I going to do with my life? For the next number of years, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? God, give me a vision. And do the same thing with your family. Do the same thing with your church. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for prayer? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.